0: Opportunities to serve. There's a place for you. I'm glad you tuned in. Our scripture this morning comes from Lamentations. Uh, Lamentation—that means to to fret and worry with great woe and sadness. <laughs> so our text comes from Lamentations. But but this text from Lamentations is one of the only places in the book that's filled with great hope. So this is Lamentations chapter 1 and then we're going to, for the first 3 verses and then we're going to skip ahead to chapter 3 beginning with verse 19. How lonely sits the city that once was full of people. How like a widow she has become. She that was great among the nations, she that was a princess among the provinces has become a vassal. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has no one to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile with suffering and hard servitude. She lives now among the nations and finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. And then skipping ahead to chapter 3, verse 19. The thought of my affliction and my homelessness is wormwood and gall. My soul continually thinks of it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. God's mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul that seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We uh, have read Lamentations, so let's begin with some Lamentations, shall we? I almost hate to do it, but the text really requires of it. I want to say today that we worry. We are a worrying people. Some of us are practically professionals at worrying. We're really good at it. We worry about the stock market. We worry about the future of democracy in this country. We worry about rising prices at the grocery store. We sometimes stoke the fires of our worry by playing the what-if game. What if Illinois doesn't have a winning season again? What if my dog runs away? What if it snows five feet this winter? What if my grandchild joins a cult or enrolls at the University of Michigan? (laughs) (laughs) What if I was joking there? But I'm not joking here. What if the catfight between our politicians never ceases? What if aging takes more a toll on my body than I'm really ready to give or can handle this coming season? I sometimes worry about these things, and, and I often kind of flip in and out of worry about the institutional church. I know I shouldn't, and I'm working on it. The Pew Research Center reports that in the year 2020, 64% of our nation called themselves Christian, children and adults. Uh, 30% of our nation uh, affiliates themselves with the uh, religious nuns. That is, they don't claim any faith tradition. And 6% of the population is everything else, the Jews and the Muslims and the Buddhists and the Hindus. That totals about 6%. Pew research suggests that depending on a lot of things, in 50 years, less than 50% of our country will call themselves or identify themselves as Christian, as low as 35% in the year 2070, as low as 35%, maybe 54%, they aren't sure, they don't know, Uh, statistics can be used to back up any point you'd like to make, but this is what they're thinking given current trends. What does this mean for churches like First Pres, churches with big, large overhead, historic buildings, if there are fewer Christians to draw from, and if churches become smaller and uh, less attended, and if our numbers continue, continue to shrink, then we'll have to make changes. And nothing makes worriers more frantic than the word change. Well, before we have a collective anxiety attack, let's breathe in and breathe out. Okay. And let's get to this hope that we just read about in Lamentations. The writer of Lamentations is surrounded by a collapsed world. The worst that she could imagine has come to pass. It's history now, recent history for her, but history. Jerusalem has been overcome By invaders. How lonely sits the city, we read. How lonely she sits. She weeps bitterly in the night. Families have been ripped from hearth and home and sent into exile. A cruel exile from the lands uh, from which they were born and raised. Her foes have become her master. Her children have gone away. We read Lamentations... And we cannot help but to feel the despair and the ache that the writer of Lamentations expresses. However, here in verse 21, Lamentation is dire- uh, disrupted by an adversative conjunction, a but, a holy but. Uh, and this is where the point at which the text turns and, and the world turns upright, as it should be, for, for the writer of lamentation. She says, but I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. And what does the writer call to mind? Only this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. God's mercies never end. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. The, the Lord is everything, all that I am. Therefore, I will have hope in God. The writer of Lamentations believes in her core that God is good all the time. Not some of the time, not occasionally. God is good through and through. So she makes a decision. She will wait She will have hope. And that Hebrew word for wait and hope at this place is exactly the same word. Now, we must note about this hope that the writer doesn't hope just for the sake of hoping. She doesn't hope because it's a good idea. She doesn't hope because it'll make her feel better. She doesn't hope because she slips on rosy glasses. No. She hopes for a reason. She hopes because she believes she has something worthy to hope in. She hopes in God, and the reason she hopes in God is that she knows God as creator, redeemer, and sustainer. She has believed the stories that have come before. She can see with her own eyes what good God does in the world, and this is why she has hope. God is God. God is sovereign. And God's promises to love and redeem and abide can be thoroughly trusted. So I choose to hope. Now note here that hope isn't just a warm feeling. Hope isn't just a fairy clearing of green grass and and cavorting um, uh, unicorns and rainbows crisscrossing the skies. No, we don't know how she feels. And she's not talking about any feelings of hope. She's talking about what she has decided, whether she feels it or not. She has decided to trust in God, because I believe in God, because I believe God is God, I will have hope. I will hold fast. I will engage in the work of holy healing. I will actively, not passively, actively wait. I will not despair. I refuse to despair. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where will my help come? She asks, leaning on the psalmist. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I'm hoping on something that's real and viable and present and reliable. Rachel spoke powerfully of this hope last week. We remember Jeremiah purchases a piece of land that he's never going to see developed. He trusts God so much that he reaches into a future thick with trouble. And he plants a seed that he'll never see bloom. He'll never reap harvest from what he plants that speaks of amazing trust, amazing trust. And this is the kind of faithful waiting the writer of Lamentations is talking about. Her hope transcends the moment. It transcends the war that has come and passed. It transcends the exile. It transcends the desolation. This hope transcends the bonfire of our worries. This hope does not change the headlines, but it reminds us that the headlines do not have the final word. God does. And that word is a restorative word. It's a good word. It's a living word. This hope may not flower in ways I anticipate, but this hope will definitely yield a harvest. I'm counting on it. This is audacious hope. Prophets before and since the writer of Lamentations have wrapped themselves up in this hope. Martin Luther King, on the final week of Lent in 1968, speaking in Memphis during the strike of the uh, sanitation workers, he closed his speech with the people of Memphis, and even as danger swirled, he talked about his hope. He said, I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Why would we dare to have such hope? Only because God is faithful. Examples of lamentation can be found in every age. From our past to our present. Imagine the song they're singing in the Ukraine now, today, in the wrecked villages and towns and cities. Imagine the song they're singing in, in the path of the hurricane, in the political ravages of Cuba, uh, in, in Florida, on the coast, in Georgia, and South Carolina. Imagine how some are singing a song of great relief. It passed us by and others look at the rubble and are wondering, O God, O God, have you forsaken me? From the border... They have made lamentation from the Congo. They have sung songs of lamentation from South Sudan, where Bob and Christy Rice work and pray and study. They have sung lamentation from Pakistan and our girls' homes there, affected by the great monsoons this season, the flooding there. They have sung songs of lamentation from Chicago, from our own neighborhoods, and even from the dark corners of our very own hearts. We know about lamentation. We're practically experts in it we have much for which to worry and much to grieve the thought of my affliction my homelessness is wormwood and gall she says ashes bitterness poison my soul is bowed down within me and we listen to her and we know the language she speaks because we have sung her song also The writer of Lamentation grieves, but, that holy but, remember, but she also practices to, clings upon, and waits on hope. God is not just faithful, she believes. God is not just faithful. God is faithful in the worst circumstance, The hope of lamentations has made its way to us as a holy gift. Jesus practiced living in and waiting for that hope. He stokes the fires of hope's eternal flame in his life and death and resurrection. And he suggests that God's kingdom isn't some pie-in-the-sky future. We're not hoping in some future like that. No, it's here and now, embodied in the hearts of you and me. A living hope, a right-here hope. And this table crowded with bread and juice becomes a gathering place and a departure point for people who are coming with doubts and worries and woes, lamentations of their own, and also a mustard seed of hope. This table becomes the gathering and departure point for people to come, for pilgrims to arrive and taste and to see and to be reminded. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And God's mercies, they never end. So be encouraged, friends. Have hope. The Lord be with you. Thank you for joining this podcast of First Presbyterian Church Champaign. Visit us at our campus at the intersection of Church and State Streets in downtown Champaign. And for more information, visit us online at www.firstpreschurch. Have a great week.